dating and relationships. This is Dive Deep. Jason Everett has traveled to six continents to bring the message of purity to millions of people for more than 20 years. He has a master's in theology and degrees in counseling and theology. He's a best-selling author of more than 15 books, and he and his wife run Chastity Project and its website, chastity.com. The podcast, Lust is Boring, and they lead an international alliance of young people who promote purity in more than 40 countries. On January 5th, Jason was at the SEEK conference in St. Louis, where we sat down with him to discuss dating, relationships, contraception, transgenderism, and much more. Jason, thanks for coming on Dive Deep. How are you? Happy to come on. Thanks for having me. We're so glad to be here uh, with you. I want to start with contraception and and the church's position against it. I know this is one topic that, of course, society disagrees with the church on. And I think if we're going to be real with ourselves, most people in the Catholic Church or people who who describe themselves as Catholic disagree with the church's teaching on it. So I want you to explain what the church ultimately does teach on contraception. Why do we teach it? And ultimately, how do we communicate that to young people so they don't use contraception? Yeah, a lot of people wonder, well, why is the church against contraception? It's not so much the church is against something as the church is for something, for God's plan for human love. That the church's teaching on sex is pretty simple. It's that, that love, you know, marriage, babies, you know, love, marriage, sex, and babies go together and in that order. And when we try to start to flip those around and change them, civilization itself begins to crumble. And so God has joined together life and love, babies in bonding. And the church is not saying that parents shouldn't plan their families responsibly. But sometimes responsible parenthood means being open to more children. And so what contraception does in a certain sense is say, okay, I want bonding with you, but I don't want babies with you. But what if we did the opposite? What if we said, well, I want babies with you, but I don't want bonding with you. I mean, we'd obviously see, okay, there's a distortion there. Like, you know, I would like to make love to you, but I don't want to look at you because I want to avoid any emotional entanglement that might ensue from this because I want to use you as an incubator as my offspring. Like, okay, that guy is weird. Okay, but what contraception is doing is the opposite of it. It's saying, I want the bonding, but I don't want the life-giving potential. And so God has already created in a woman's body seasons each month of fertility and infertility. And it's not necessary to shut down the woman's fertility with chemicals and barriers or whatever. What's needed is for us to understand the woman's body. And so what natural family planning taught me is that my wife's body is perfect. She doesn't need drugs, she doesn't need pills, she doesn't need shots, she needs to be understood. Because if we can understand her fertility, then instead of kind of suppressing it with chemicals to conform to our desires, we can conform our desires to the perfect way her body has already been created. And this is real sexual liberation. So, yeah, and I know also kind of in that same vein, you know, society kind of paints the Catholic Church as the church of no. Mm-hmm. You know, we just talked about contraception. You know, the church says no. Certain dating things, IVF, yeah. living, bef- living with your girlfriend or fiance before you get married. Um, how do we respond to that? How do we teach young people that, in essence, what the church is teaching is actually a church of yes and is actually a church of freedom? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, God's plan for human love is not a litany of prohibitions at the end of the day. And so what, how we could communicate this is asking us, what is it you really want in a relationship? Do you want a love that's free or, or coerced? Well, I want a love that's free. Okay, do you want a love that's total or that's kind of half-hearted? Oh, I want total love. Do you want a love that's faithful or do you want like hooking up and friends with benefits? And oh no, I want a love that's faithful. Okay, do you want a love that's life-giving? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you want a love that's free, total, faithful, fruitful. Those are the wedding vows, okay? So the total gift of the body should correspond to the total gift of the person. 
and the total gift of the person is marriage, and your body should correspond with that. So all the church is trying to give to you is what you want. And so what we're doing when we disagree with the church is we're disagreeing with the desires of our own heart. Now, um, I also want to talk about something you've said. You said, I think for young people, they are being told everything they are not supposed to do when it comes to dating and relationships, but nobody is talking to them about what they are supposed to do when it comes to dating. So what are they supposed to be doing? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad, especially for the guys, because, you know, <laughs> they get to college like, okay, I got this down. I can't sleep with my girlfriend, can't live with my girlfriend, can't have an abortion with my girlfriend, I can't. I can't clone my girlfriend. I learned that in theology class. Like, great. I know everything not to do. What am I supposed to do with her? And so what we got to teach these guys is, is dating etiquette. You know, what is the purpose of dating? It's to find a spouse. It's like getting on a freeway with only two exits, breakup and marriage. And if that's the reality of, then what's the point of committing to anybody unless you can see this relationship potentially going the distance? And so having more intentionality with dating. And I find the young people, college students, high schools, they love to hear this stuff. Okay, well, what's the specifics? How do I ask her out? All this stuff. Because it's not enough to tell them what not to do. And the reason they don't know how to date, and if you look at the culture, we got like this culture of single people who pretend like they're dating, then the dating people behave like they're married, and the married people seem to think they're single. Like everything's out of order, and it's because the parents forgot how to date each other. So they never saw their own parents pursuing each other in love, going on weekly date nights. I met one wife, and she told me she'd been married 30 years. She said, you know, last date my husband took me on? was our wedding proposal night, hmm. and I haven't been on a date with him in 30 years. Yeah, and I've often heard that, especially if you have children, it, it, people who are married often think, I got to put the children first. But in essence, mm. you're saying you need to put your marriage first because if your marriage isn't first, your children are ultimately going to suffer from that. Yeah, putting your marriage first is putting your kids first. Because they want us, as much as it gags them out to see mom and dad kiss or to hug or be affectionate, they need to see it. It is so good for their mental health to see that. The stability, the safety that it creates in their hearts of knowing, okay, mom and dad are united front. So that's, you know, they often say the best thing you can do for your kids is to love your spouse. Excellent. Now, let's get back to the dating uh, advice you have. You know, I have four young kids. They're not in the, the dating realm yet. They're eight and under. But of course, parents are trying to navigate this whole whole crazy world that we're living in and trying to talk to their kids about dating and chastity. Mm-hmm. What should parents, what's your advice for parents, especially who have teenagers or young adults right now who are trying to, you know, plant seeds here and there? Uh, what should they be saying? What should they be doing? Yeah, well, one, get over your insecurities when it comes to talking to your kids about sexuality. Because if you do not speak up, the world will fill the void of your silence with a very contrary message. And so obviously it needs to be age appropriate, but there's gonna get be stuff the world's gonna throw at your kids and you've gotta see, okay, this is a teachable moment. Yeah, I didn't really wanna, like I took my kids to an NBA basketball game and one of the cheerleaders was male, um, dressed up as a female, doing all the female dance moves. And my boys are like, what's going on there? And I'm like, okay, well, I really hadn't anticipated having to discuss gender dysphoria on the way home from the basketball game, but let's go there, you know, and and pastorally and lovingly explaining that situation. So see those teachable moments, dive into them, and give the kids formation, even, you know, when subjects you didn't want to have to cover yet. Be bold and age appropriate. And we talk about vocations. I think you hear that word. People automatically think religious life, but marriage has to be also in that conversation. And that is something that I know our Bishop, Bishop Apraki, has talked a lot about, about, you know, the vocation of marriage and a holy marriage. So as you look at your marriage, um, what's one thing you discovered that's been a grace that you maybe didn't anticipate? Well, you know, one of the functions of marriage is the sanctification of the spouses. And one of the ways that God does that is he brings your faults to the surface, kind of like oil and water. That before you're married, you think, you know, 
I'm a pretty good catch. You know, I'm patient, I'm forgiving. And then you get married, it's like, wow, I'm a jerk. You know, like I'm unforgiving, I'm unpatient, you know, impatient. Um, and so one of the surprises is the, the sanctification that comes through the sacrament because the children, the spouse, it's like a sandpaper of sanctity, of constantly rubbing off those rough edges. Now, um, I, I know also when it comes to marriage and dating, especially when it comes to males, is addiction to pornography. Mm -hmm. um, what's your advice for someone who is caught in that addiction right now, who wants to break free? What should they be doing? What's, what's, your, what's your take? Yeah, whether it's male or female, because I'm meeting more and more young women struggling with the same things too, realize this isn't what you ultimately want. I had heard of one guy that was addicted to all this stuff, going to strip clubs, all kinds of stuff. And he finally confessed this to a Christian brother. And the Christian guy said to him, well, if what you really want to do is look at pornography and do that stuff, well, go ahead and do it. And the guy's like, what? He said, yeah, if that's what you really want to do is all that stuff in privacy with your laptop and yourself, go ahead and do it. And he said, no, that's not what I really want to do. And his friend looked at him and said, exactly. And it was like this watershed moment for him that maybe there is still something good in him that desires something noble and sacrificial and beautiful and pure. And so pornography is, is this counterfeit of the desires that we really long for. And so get accountability, get some software on your computer, be able to find a good spiritual director, talk to some brothers or sisters about this stuff. Don't try to go Lone Ranger to win this thing. And our website, chastity.com, we've got books for the guys, for the girls. We've got resources, websites, apps, softwares, router recommendations, all kinds of stuff that you, you got. This is a battle you can't afford to lose. I mean, your whole vocation is at stake here. And I know it's difficult, but what's a lot more difficult is envisioning your life 10 years from now still stuck in the same stuff. And so if trying to be, defend this thing on your own and win it isn't working, it's because you're not supposed to win this thing alone. Find some accountability and you can have victory. Now, I kind of want to go back to your NBA game story and the issue of transgenderism, because this is also something that is in the history of our culture. It's very recent, and you know we're still all trying to navigate this as people of faith. I kind of have two questions. I'll start with this first off. If, if, if we know someone who, who thinks they are the opposite sex, what does that conversation look like? How, how should we be handling that? A lot of times we think, okay, what do I need to say? What's the silver bullet that can explain to them why puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and a top surgery is not the answer for them? What we need to do is listen to these individuals, meaning enter into their lives, go out to the movies, get, have a beer, have a coffee, like get to know these people, learn their story. Because what we need to do is enter this conversation with a posture of reverent curiosity about this dysphoria. Wow, when did you start feeling this? Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm sure that must have been really hard. Uh, what has that been like? And what, what tree, like, where is this coming from? And the reason I say we got to listen is because a boy came to me and he said, Oh, I'm trans, and long conversation. Turns out he's got two older sisters, two younger sisters. They can do no wrong. They are doted upon and loved, but everything he does is not enough for his mom and dad. He's always the black sheep. I said to him, Do you think if you were born a girl that you would have been loved the way your sisters are loved? And he said, I know I would have. And you see what's there is there's this deeper unmet legitimate need that's found an outlet through this expression of gender dysphoria. Everybody has their own story. Our job is to make these individuals understand the church sees them. We realize they didn't choose to feel this way. God loves them. He has a plan for them. And then we have to hold one hand to them, one hold onto rea reality and not let go of either one walk with them, accompany them, not only with the love, but also with the truth. Now, I also want to kind of get in on the advice for people who have young teenagers or, or young adults, because obviously this is one issue where maybe teenagers, young adults tend to you know, be in support of transgenderism. How do we talk to them as parents or grandparents uh, to say, no, this, this isn't what the church teaches. This isn't yeah. God's plan. Yeah. Well, a lot of times they're given this idea of false compassion that like, well, if you don't accept these people, you're rejecting them and they're, they're going to commit suicide. 
Well, look at the suicides rates after people go through the puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and the surgeries. About 10 years after the surgery, their suicide rate is 19 times higher than the general population. If you isolate out the female to male transitioners, suicide rates more than 40 times as high as the general population. It's because surgery is not the answer to these deeper mental health issues. We need to be affirming the person, not the dysphoria. And so we just came out with a book this week that we've been working on for about two years called Male, Female, Other, A Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender that whether they experience dysphoria, have a kid who wants top surgery or whatever, have I've got a nephew, this, and this book will help me explain, where's this coming from? How do I give solid answers? But most importantly, how do I pastorally accompany these people with sensitivity, giving them the truth that this is not the answer? And this is not a left versus right issue. I mean, you look right now, there's 43,000 detransitioners on the Reddit website, screaming from the rooftop saying, I did this, it was not the answer hit the brakes. And so lawsuits are on the way and I think things are gonna change, but there's gonna be a lot of damage done, unfortunately. We'll get, you, we'll get you out on this one. In your travels, I know you've met, of course, thousands of people, thousands of couples. What's one story that you remember in your travels that just provides so much hope, so much inspiration. Well, I met one girl yesterday. She came up in line. She was crying. She said, you know what? She said, I was in the most toxic, horrible relationship with this guy in my college. And my campus minister handed me a copy of your How to Find Your Soulmate book. And she said, you know, the first chapter is the top 10 guys to avoid. She said, I didn't even finish the first chapter before I dumped that guy. It gave me everything I needed to get out of that relationship. And she said, you know what I've done since I read that book? She said, I've given away more than a thousand copies of it to other girls. She said, now I do ministry to girls who are leaving the sex trafficking industry, to strippers, to prostitutes. We do book studies with your book. They're starting their lives over. And so it's so beautiful to see the courage of one campus minister. Hey, just read this book, getting her out of that toxic situation. And now she's reaching places that I could never go to. So yeah, so God is good. <laughs> Jason Everett, we appreciate the advice. Thank you so much for coming on Dive Deep. Thanks for having me on. You got it. This has been Dive Deep. If you'd like more podcasts, head over to dial.org slash podcast. If you'd like to give to support us, go to dial.org slash give. And until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.